Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Today our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, continues in our series about our many misconceptions about marriage. You can find our weekly message outline and many other of our resources on our website at brookwoodchurch.org or on our Brookwood Church app. marriage God-centered? You'd say, well, I can't really honestly answer that. Then it can, it can become God-centered and growth is possible. But we have to start, and again, we return to our new series, Marriage Made in Heaven, which is ideal, but unfortunately it has to be lived on earth, doesn't it? With two imperfect people. But if two people in a marriage commit today to try. Your marriage can improve. Your marriage can improve. Today, our focus will be God's purpose for marriage. If you take out your message guide, the theme verse that I've selected is from Ephesians chapter 5, and it says, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her, to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing, cleansing of God's Word. And the point here is that our marriages should have an effect. Our, excuse me, our, our marriages should have an effect on our faith. And this verse in particular, and I only focused on the husband's challenge there, The other passages include the challenge to the wife. But this verse implies that we help our spouses become holy. Does that sound like a strange idea? Here's a question as we begin, and I see some new faces. Thank you for coming. And I appreciate the people that invited you, and I'm glad you're here today. And my prayer is that God's Word, not Perry's words, but God's words will Heal your marriage, help it become whole and stronger. But let me ask as we begin, why did you get married? Answer me. Why did you get married? You were in love. Okay, but why did you get married? You say, well, Paul said it's better to marry than to burn. With lust, of course, is what it means, 1 Corinthians 7, 9. So, yes, that's commendable if you were abstaining and you were trying to avoid being scorched, good. But why did you get married, other than Paul's argument there? Um, What was the purpose of your marriage? And related to that is what expectations? were related to that purpose. And here's the other question. Has your marriage met your expectations? If not, why not? When marriage fails to meet expectations, which let me say this, usually true expectations are are not even disclosed. 
Now, they may not even be acknowledged within the person that's holding them, but rarely are they fully disclosed, the expectations. So what happens is one member of the marriage fails to meet the other's undisclosed, unstated expectations, and you know what happens then? This passive-aggressive behavior sets in. Either I don't speak at all, or I sort of speak harshly about everything. Pass me the butter. Or else we don't say anything. We just reach for it. We stop talking at all. And, and without saying it, we're blaming each other for our personal dissatisfaction, for our lack of excitement, and for our declining interest in the relationship. Perhaps we need a new perspective on the purpose of marriage. That in fact, marriage is not supposed to complete me. Marriage is not designed to meet all my needs, to keep me satisfied, to make me content. Is that, am I shocking anyone? Because whether articulated or not, many of us, a very high percentage of us, enter marriage with that romantic ideal, don't we? Rather, perhaps God instituted marriage. We dealt with that last week. If you weren't there, it, you can find it on the Brookwood app. At Genesis 2, 24, for his purpose... And that's what it's not good for a man to be alone actually means, Genesis 2.18. If we're Christians, isn't it more important for us to know what God wants from us, what he wants from our marriages, than what we want from our marriages? Is that fair? How many of you will acknowledge that? It's more important to know what God wants in your marriage than what you want. I want to see some hands. If it is our calling in life, if my calling as a Christian is to please God, then I need to know not only what he wants from me, but what he wants from my marriage. And so hold on to your chair. What if God designed marriage to make us holy rather than to make us happy. You ready to walk out now? Maybe I better say that again. Y'all are still in shock. What if God designed marriage to make us holy rather than to make us happy? Can you accept that? Now, what is the word holy? We've dealt with this many different Sundays. Holy is a Greek word, comes from a Greek word, hagias, and it means to purify, to consecrate, to sanctify, to set apart, or put more simply and maybe boiled down a bit more practically, to help each other conform to Christ's image. What if the intimacy, the closeness, even the intrusiveness of marriage 
was designed by God to make us more like Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 29. Marriage helps us become holy in many different ways. First, by experiencing God. Now, don't miss this on the screen. Matthew 18, 20. For where two or three are gathered together is my followers. I am there among them. Also, John 14 says the Spirit of God will be placed in a believer after Jesus left. And we become more holy, not through just greater effort, not through just legalistic behavioral improvement. We don't even become more holy necessarily by more frequent attendance at worship studies or or being involved in more Bible studies. We become more holy through greater exposure and surrender to the Holy Spirit. Now, certainly it can happen in those settings if we, if we avail ourselves, if we align ourselves with the Spirit's work in those settings. But living with someone who is animated by the Holy Spirit. You know anybody like that? Do y'all? I told my wife she was animated by the Holy Spirit. She gets animated by some other things too, but she gets animated by the Holy Spirit. Living with someone who is motivated to become like Christ causes God to become real in our presence in human form. So God's Spirit God himself, we believe in the Trinity, becomes active in our homes, becomes involved in our lives. In other words, because you can't escape your spouse, you can't escape God. And his presence is always there. That may be what's irritating you. As we live with our spouses... We're reminded of God's presence and God's image. Because you see, it's often easier to see the Holy Spirit at work in someone else than it is to recognize the Spirit's work within me. Is that true? It's easier to see someone else's life change. Now, you know, men and women share the image of God equally but not identically. Because we, dis- because we display God's image differently according to our sex. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Genesis 5, 1 and 2. Men, now th- remember I told you this is a generality. It's a tendency. Men tend to display the, the reasoning and the strength of God. Women tend to demonstrate the compassion and the nurture of God. Now, those, are, those vary, obviously, but just as a generalization. You know, when, when my wife, I can watch my, my wife nurture my grandson, and I do play with him, but I, then I want to do something else. My wife can walk around with that boy his legs are, will soon reach the ground on her hip 
for hours. For hours. Go down to the creek, walk in the creek. Go around the neighborhood, play at this game, then play that game, then 14 other games, then hide the eggs and find the eggs, then play hide and seek for another 30 minutes, then cook everything. You know, and I say, come and wrestle. And he say, all done, all done. He, he likes investigating, and she will investigate him, with him all day. She just has a stronger nurturing nature than I do. We're different. And so it's only joined together as one with our spouses that we complete a fuller picture of God's nature and person there in our household. You say, well, what about singles? Well, singles do it in fellowship with others, you know, and it may be that God will have a marriage, but we have a a church family to share together, even for those who are single. But we have to be mindful that our spouse's differences and different outlooks and different strengths and weaknesses are God-given. Or we'll become frustrated by the dissimilarities instead of gaining insight into the complementary expressions of God's image. The marriage relationship reminds us of our need for God when we discover that our spouse cannot provide all of the love we need, all of the support and comfort we desire. Did you hear that? Your spouse cannot complete you. Your spouse wasn't designed by God to fulfill all your needs and desires. And yet, that's the source of much frustration in marriage, isn't it? Some marriage partners become disappointed, disillusioned, even angry when they discover that their spouse can't solve their insecurity, can't relieve doubts about their self-worth or their anxiety or any other associated identity problems. It's interesting, isn't it, that we get wounds in life and we we come into a marriage with all kinds of fears and and insecurities and we think this one person over here is going to solve all those doubts about ourselves and make us totally secure. And we're going to fit together like two pieces of a puzzle. Well, we are two pieces of a puzzle, but they're not the two pieces that match. We all have weaknesses and missing part and strengths in there, so they're sticking out here and and, indented there, but they don't match up. They're the wrong two pieces. As I said last week, two human beings are by definition incompatible. Instead of realizing that, our, that many of our needs can be met only by God, what do some of us think immediately? Come on, who has courage? I married the wrong person. I married the wrong person. Or my mate isn't trying And we think that what we really need to fix the problem is to find what? Who? 
the right person. Oh, I made a mistake. You didn't make a mistake when you decided to spend your entire life with this person in all likelihood. You just discovered you don't match up perfectly. Welcome to marriage. Because finding the right person, you see, for many means finding a new person. And that infatuation phase causes, oh, this is the match I'm missing. Until the infatuation fades away. And then you have to bounce out and find another right person. Don't we see that? We see serial marriages in our culture. Two, three, four, f- even five marriages. Isn't that right? Looking for, for the, the missing something. How many of us, I want some honesty here. There's some honesty. How many of you were looking for your soulmate to complete you? Come on, let me see it. I want to see some hands. Looking for your soul. Come on, I want some courage. I'm looking for my soulmate. Well, let me tell you about soulmate. The concept or the idea of soulmate was articulated first by Plato, Greek philosopher. And he surmised that humans were a super race of round people. And Zeus, who was the head of the Greek gods, became threatened by the power of these round people. And so you know how he handled them? You know? He split them in half. And so those half beings spent the rest of their lives looking for someone to cling desperately to. That's the origin of soulmates. Sound Christian to you? And yet we have so romanticized that concept, haven't we? And it's funny to me, you know, um, one of us in my marriage likes romantic comedies. It's, it's, for me, it's just that the plot line is usually so deep, I can't figure out who's going to fall in love. I mean, sometimes it takes me, it takes me a full 60 seconds to figure out how it's going to end up. So anyway, we have these romantic comedies. Oh, but, but, but here's the thing. Quit getting sucked into the movies. I always like to look at who the actors are. Oh, and he's such a romantic figure. That dumb skull's been married 14 times. <laughs> Don't get divorced from reality. You see my point? The person you married cannot and is not supposed to meet all of your needs or provide you fulfillment. Well, what do I have her for? Here, I want you to understand this. This person is your partner in pursuing God. which does produce fulfillment, contentment, joy. Have you noticed that when you take your focus, kind of that critical focus off each other and look to Jesus Christ, 
you do become much more compatible. So it's two people not staring each other down. It's two people looking outward in the same direction. And as two people are drawn to Christ, like a, like a triangle, what happens? The closer we get to Christ, and it's not that even, but the closer we get to Christ, the closer we get together. Satisfaction or dissatisfaction with my marriage always has more. I want y'all to hear this. Always. What did I just say? Are there any exceptions? Satisfaction or dissatisfaction with my marriage always has more to do with my relationship to God than it does to my relationship to my spouse. Anybody want to debate that point? Because we need to be convinced of this. My misery has more to do with where I am in Jesus Christ than how my spouse behaves. You willing to accept this? And that we can have peace even in a difficult marriage. Now hear me on this. I want all of you to hear me on this. So I don't want any emails on this. I am not talking about accepting abuse, okay? Everybody clear on this. We're not talking about that. That's a different issue that needs to be handled. And you might need some other people involved. You don't accept physical and verbal abuse. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about that ordinary resentment, disconnection, blaming that can happen in a otherwise pretty good marriage. You know what I'm saying? Normal marriage at least. Instead of blaming my spouse for my lack of fulfillment, I wonder who I should blame. Yourself about what? Yeah, yeah, because you are not pursuing Jesus Christ. If I'm miserable in my marriage, I need to stop blaming my spouse and I need to find the culprit. How do I find the culprit? Look in the mirror. Because I'm not pursuing a fulfilling relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So are you experiencing fulfillment? Then I'll ask you this one. Are you pursuing God? Marriage helps me become holy also by exposing my sin. Marriage, marriage causes us all to be confronted by our selfishness, doesn't it? Marriage affords us the opportunity to face ourselves, to see offensive and thoughtless actions and attitudes that are easy to overlook, rationalize, or justify when we're by ourselves. But living in very close, continual proximity with another person reveals character issues that need to change. Now, they reveal them in ourselves. Yes, they also reveal them, them in our spouses. The problem is we usually latch on those missing in our spouses first, don't we? 
It's somehow easier to see where my spouse is weak than it is to see where I'm weak. Take some courage to say, Holy Spirit, show me myself. Our faith does not direct us to be fixated on finding the right person. It causes us to be focused on what? Becoming the right person. Becoming the right person. In marriage, we have a responsibility to change ourselves. But we do also have a responsibility to help each other change. This is a partnership. So we must both correct and be corrected humbly without resistance or anger. Look at Galatians 6 1. Dear brothers or sisters, and you could put in parentheses husbands and wives, if another believer, particularly the one you're married to, is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Here's what I think. Again, you know what you can do with what I think. Consider it. You're not bound by it. I think people sometimes sabotage their own marriages rather than face their weaknesses and failures. I think sometimes people so dislike what's exposed, they would rather destroy the relationship than have to do the hard work of change. Is that fair? Either they believe they can't change or they refuse to change because it's too hard. Now, sometimes marital partners resist change and grow resentful because correction feels like rejection. So the marriage slowly dies in silence. But that's when you have to go to the Spirit and say, Spirit, Where's this coming from? What am I feeling? Why do I feel this way? What do you have to say about it? Y'all, let's practice this. Let's practice this communication with the Spirit showing us ourselves. Finding those lies that we believe. Replacing them with God's truth. In marriage, we must sacrifice ourselves to help our spouses become holy. Now, the sacrifice might be continuing to love and serve someone whose growth seems slow. And instead of harassing, we pray. If you have an unbelieving spouse, my response would be, how much are you praying? Because God changes hearts. Sacrifice might also require us sometimes to step up and discuss unpleasant issues, even though it makes us uncomfortable. Because we have a responsibility to our spouse and to God to help this person we've been joined with as one to become more like Christ. All marriages are difficult which allows us the opportunity to grow in intimacy with God. 
A difficult marriage does not guarantee you a miserable life. But you must learn to pursue God even in the midst of a difficult marriage. Now, there is great satisfaction and there's joy and there is even happiness when two people create a life and a home centered on Christ. I think it was encouraging that Todd and Patty Bowman had been married so many years, their kids had grown up and suddenly they look around and it's not too good. And they refocused on pursuing Christ, putting God at the center of their home. Are you willing to confront in love? Are you willing to be confronted to become more holy? Marriage also helps me become holy by encouraging growth. 1 Thessalonians 5.11. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you're already doing. Now you say, well, these verses don't apply particularly to marriage. Well, no, they apply to believers. Every, every verse that applies to two believers applies to marriage. Because marriage is just intense discipleship. No one is closer than your spouse. No one's more invested in your success than your mate. No one has more information about your background or insight into your personality than your spouse. So no one is able to offer more effective encouragement than him or her. As married believers, we want each other to grow in the Lord. And we can help each other become more aware of God's presence by gently encouraging each other towards spiritual growth. But we must be clear about our motivation. And it must be love, not an opportunity to express dissatisfaction with our spouse's spirituality. Nagging and criticizing never helps a spouse seek God. Can you, you agree with that? It just causes them to withdraw from God, also from you. Remember this, never forget Romans 2, 4. God's kindness leads people to repentance. And ours does as well. And that includes even in marriage. You may have married an unbeliever. And you thought, well, I thought I was marrying a Christian. Then pray. You can't harass someone into the kingdom of God. But you can pray them into it. And ask the Spirit of God to work in your home. In you first. And also in that person. Well, how do you encourage growth? Well, again, our whole church is organized to help people pursue relationship with Christ. And we give you three practices, communicating with God. We do that through worship, through prayer, through giving financially. Connecting with other Christians through Bible study and forming spiritual relationships. And then caring for others 
through benevolence and service projects? Are you, are you involved in these practices that propel you spiritually to grow? If, if you're just barely connected to Christ, you show up for church occasionally, no service, no giving, no praying, you can almost expect your marriage to be misery. But you can take a step forward to spiritual growth. And you can invite your spouse to join you. Well, what can I do if my spouse isn't interested? I know that that happens frequently. You pursue Christ and grow anyway. I don't think you're going to have a spouse that says you can't pray or read your Bible. Well, what if I want to be in a small group? What if I want to serve somewhere? And my spouse doesn't. Then you ask your spouse's blessing over your involvement. But you don't neglect your home and your marriage to do Christian things. You see? Most of the time, a spouse will bless it, even if that person's disinterested. Go ahead. As you grow spiritually, and you say, well, I want us both to grow together. You can't put that expectation. You can hope for that. You can pray for that. But you have to seek God. It's amazing how many couples are stalled out spiritually because one will say, well, I'll do it, but he won't. Well, then you have to grow. And for a while, it might be by yourself. But as you grow spiritually, your life and your character will change. And your credibility will expand. And your faith will become more compelling to your spouse. Well, how do you know that? Well, 1 Peter 3 tells me that. Look at this. Your godly lives will speak to them without any words. And they will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. You said, we've got a long way to go. Well, let me urge you this. Vow before God you're not going to engage in this blaming and accusation. Stop that right now. And then make a commitment to take a step toward Christ. That's all you need to start with. Let's commit to each other to take a step toward Jesus Christ. Well, we need some help. Well, you can call the care department. They have some resources. You can find some resources online. We're formulating a, a marriage series uh, for small groups, but is not ready to launch yet. But there are marriage mentors. There's counseling. There are lots of other ways that you can be helped. And now as I close, counselors, you come to the front. I want you to be here. And if someone wants to pray with you and they're struggling in marriage, and maybe you are suffering a, a abusive marriage, these people are here to pray with you, to suggest some resources. They'll anoint people with oil for healing. God doesn't always heal, but sometimes he does. We ask and he chooses. But now as I close, we also have a vote. Now you've had the, the chance to review the ministry plan and when I ask you to affirm it, well, here's what I'm asking. It's a threefold request. 
you're standing up, says, I affirm this ministry plan, but I'm also affirming I am part of this church and I'll support physically with my presence and my service and I'll support financially by giving. So I'm asking you, do you support this ministry plan and will you support it by your presence and your giving? If so, please stand. Thank you. Thank you. Father, I pray that you would do a work right now in our homes. Heal our homes. Let our homes be, be like those lights on a hill that, that show people that it's possible for two different people to live in harmony and in unity when they share a common love for Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray where there are marriages that are in distress, I pray, Lord, that you would, would cause change in both people and that you would put your spirit in and your spirit would reign in these homes. Help us, Lord, to be open to growing toward you so that we can grow toward each other. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Thank you for coming. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. One of the ways that you can do that is by getting connected here at Brookwood. If you would like to know more about the many ways you can connect with other Christians here, or if you just have any questions about who we are, you can email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call us at 864-688-8326. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.